is the anniversary episode of the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 22nd of November 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave, and here is my special co-host, Jon. Hey, Jon. I'm special today. Yeah, I thought so. We've we've put up with each other for a year. I think that makes you special. <laughs> Happy birthday for us. Indeed. Happy birthday to the Roaring Elephant. So, we made it. Um, <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? Against all the odds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the odds were pretty favorable for us. We didn't have that much issues finding people and topics to talk about and with. No, that's true. And we do like to talk as well. So that yes, does also. Make that actually easier. surprised me a bit, but uh, we do know how to fill an hour, don't we? We do. And <laughs> it started off as bite-sized big data. And we were always thinking, ah, oh, you know, how on earth will we fill 30 minutes every two weeks? Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's, uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say bloated, that would be unkind, but it's grown, it's evolved. It's evolved, definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, what are your what are your highlights? My highlights, just the fact that we're doing this. I mean, before I did this kind of podcast stuff thingy, I never done anything like this. And when we talked about, I think we talked about this when we were walking around in Poland somewhere in Warsaw or yeah. something. Yep, of all places. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it was a fun thing to talk about after a couple of beers, but I never thought we we're gonna do go go ahead with it. And I'm just uh, happy we are uh, doing this for this long now. I mean, I haven't missed a single episode, really. We've been steadfast every two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think we've we've been uh, been pretty regular. You know, we've we've kept to the deadlines that we've set, and I'm I'm really pleased with that because I think you yeah. know we we always try and make it work. We try and make sure that we're on time with stuff, um, and we always seem to have something to say. So that's always good. <laughs> I think it's it's also kind of interesting that we approach this from two very different ends of the spectrum. When it comes to podcasts, you know, I there's a handful of podcasts, and I mean literally I have like two, maybe three that I listen to on a semi-regular pod, a sort of basis. Whereas you're a bit of a podcast fiend, aren't you? Uh, not that much. I mean, there's oh, about four on. that I follow religiously, and the rest I'm just take what i like and don't like uh, depending on whatever they're talking about but i think i've been doing it for longer than you and yeah. i've been more into the, the technical part of it this is true you are the uh, the sound meister and splicer of all things podcast so everything that's wrong with the sound that's all my fault yeah unless it happens to be me in a basement in which case yeah mea culpa uh, yeah, Dave's and basements, bad, bad combinations we've, <laughs> we've experienced. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Funnily enough, basements, not great internet, as, yeah. it, as it turns out. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thunk it, indeed. Um, I mean, so we've got uh, an episode coming up in the not-too-distant future that's all about our our future predictions. But that's really future predictions in the sort of area of more big data. Where do you think we where do you think we could be going next year with the podcast? Uh, that's a good question, isn't it? Uh, I know I've been planning something that I don't want to talk about yet, the help from our people in the field. Just I don't want to talk about it. I guess I shouldn't talk about it. So <laughs> yeah, stop that. talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that's going to be a bit of fun. And apart from that, I'm kind of happy with the change we did earlier this year when we went from the three-part episode into the current news and then the main topic. I think it was a good, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I, I was a little bit nervous about it 
um, initially, but I think it has worked out really well. Yeah. And the the news piece actually has become um, almost my favourite piece. Actually, I mean, we get some great guests, and yeah, you know, that you're helps be hearing from you're going to be hearing from some of those a little bit later. But it, it really does help. But I think also that the just the 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 conversations we have about the various topics that we pick, and I've said it before on this, like. We we do the the search for our news completely independently, <laughs> and the fact that we sometimes you know pick the same articles and have a fight as to who wants to talk about it, or or oh, sort of fight. Uh, no, we don't. But we have we have some banter, shall we say, about who's going to talk about it, and we also uh, you know we approach sometimes approach the same topics from different angles as well, which I think is, is useful and and makes for makes for good uh, good listening. Yes, of course, we're totally dependent on the world for that news. So uh, uh, all the Cladera's Horton works and whatever's in the world makes new stuff, makes stuff that we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And all of you strange, weird, wacky people out there doing stuff all on your own that's going to emerge next year. We look forward to it and we'd yeah. love to talk about it. So if you've got something that you'd like to talk about with us and to our audience, give us a shout. We're more than happy to to get in touch and uh, see what we can do. Yeah, that's the one thing I think we haven't done enough of, of, of been able to get enough of, that's uh, yeah, interaction with our audience. I know we, we can see people are listening to us, so we wouldn't be doing this still if nobody was listening to us, I guess. So we have listeners out there, but for some reason they're all these introverted, shy people apparently, because only a couple <laughs> of them actually reach out to us, and when they do, it's a lot of fun, but... I hope next year we get more interaction, more more contact forms, more emails, more hints, or even complaints. Everything's good. Yeah, all feedback is good. All feedback is welcome. So, And that's also um, the thing that I can talk about, which hopefully will make something happen there. Yeah. When you're in a hole, <laughs> stop digging, Jan. When you're in a hole, stop digging. No, no, no. I want to go to Australia. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, watch out for the molten core in the middle. And with that... Um, coming after the break, some interesting Yuletide fireside chats with our guests over the years. Or year. <laughs> Looking to the future there already. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So stay with us and uh, hear from some of the exciting people that uh, we've had on the show previously and uh, what they've been up to since we last spoke. As Dave said uh, before the music, we have some uh, chats with uh, guests we had over the year uh, on today. We actually reached out to them and asked them if they could join us on our anniversary party, and a lot of them said yes. Sadly, not all of them could make it at this exact time, but we have touched, we have touched base with them earlier, and we have some pre-recorded sections, and we still hope that uh, some people will actually call in live while we're recording and preparing all this. So, Dave, anything else to add, or do we just go into? I would suggest we go to the first recorded, pre-recorded uh, chat we had with Joe with, because he was our first guest on the show ever. Wasn't he, he was. He was. He was our first guest and the first person to uh, congratulate us on making it a whole year. So, yeah, let's cut over to Joe. Yeah, let's hear, let's hear from Joe. We'll be back after the recording. Welcome, Joe Witt, to our uh, anniversary episode. We've made it a year. Who'd have thought? Yeah, it's awesome. 
I, I recall very fondly our last chat. <laughs> so do we. <laughs> Absolutely. So you were one of our one of our first interviews, actually, as it turns out. Uh, how's the how's the year treated you? It's been good, though. Hopefully, I uh, hopefully you've found much better guests since then. Uh, but none of them have been quite as endearing as you. Oh, yeah, no, we've had uh, we've had a good a good run, really. There's been um, getting our uh, Apache NiFi 1.0 release out, and then uh, following that up with our uh, HortonWorks release uh, was a big deal. It took a long time, uh, included a lot of things that you know a lot of us in the community have been thinking about and talking about and working on for uh, well more than a, a year or more. Um, so that was exciting, um, and in that period of time. We were also able to launch, um, you know, at least in a uh, much more usable sense, uh, Apache Minify, which is a sub-project of NiFi, and we can talk about that more uh, kind of as we go. But that's definitely something that we're very excited about. Yeah. So, I mean, the NiFi, uh, obviously, it's uh, it's quite a, a well-established technology, been around for over 10 years now, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it seems like it's, it's very much... Um, exploded onto the scene over the last sort of the last few years and as especially so in the in the last 12 months or so and obviously with the big the big sort of 1.0 nifi release um even more so are you sort of are you seeing that that sort of pickup in the in in the sort of in the ecosystem yeah i mean i you know i think uh it's really been to me uh very clear in the last 12 months, um, there's some sort of inflection point hit uh, where, you know, when we go have conversations with people, it's less about uh, introducing them to it and more about helping them better understand what sort of um, use cases they can do um, and how they can do them better than they may have been doing them previously or uh, things that they just weren't even trying to do previously uh, because they didn't really have the right tooling for. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. The community growth has been awesome. I mean, we've we've seen a really nice uptick in uh, code contributions, really meaningful code contributions. Oh, that's good. And uh, I would say the other thing we've noticed, um, and that I'd say is is really something we've been seeing uh, more acutely. I would say uh, over the last six months has been commercial adoption, uh, with numerous yeah. companies you know providing indications that they're supporting it, uh, either in terms of building their own products around it. Uh, or in providing kind of like um, you know backend support, so that's awesome. I mean, that's that's a really good sign. Yeah, I mean, code contributions must be especially satisfying because let's face it, that's that's one of the core pieces of what open source is all about. So if you're getting some nice chunky code contributions, that that means you must be doing something right. Yeah, for sure, it's been excellent. I mean, it's it's uh, it's one of those things that I think really separates a lot of the open source communities is. Um, you know, it's kind of one thing to get the code out there, but it's another to get to the point where the community is actually kind of self-sustaining in that way, where you're getting a good uh, set of contributions that are, you know, meaningful and actually getting, you know, reviewed and into the code base, and that can be supported by, you know, more than just the author. So it's it's been really encouraging to see that really take shape. That's something cool. that I think a lot of us are new to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you talk about the adoption by the commercial parties, do they also contribute contribute code? Yeah, we've got a little bit of both. I mean, there's okay. some of them who uh, contribute uh, marketing. <laughs> That's good, too. Uh, and uh, there's some of them who um, are also contributing code. And, I mean, you know, frankly, it's an Apache project. So, mm -hmm. you know, both models are perfectly fine. We're happy to work with them either way. 
Um, and, uh, you know, of course, we uh, getting code contributions from those folks is great, but there's a lot of ways to contribute, and we're pretty good at welcoming all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. On the marketing point, it's uh, it's fairly easy to market Nifi because every demo I do with a customer, if I show a bit of Nifi, forget everything else. They all want to know <laughs> about that Nifi thing. What was that? <laughs> That's good. I like to hear that. <laughs> well, we've been accused on the podcast of being some some kind of a Nifi fanboy. So, yeah, yeah. So in that case, let's talk about something else. Then let's talk about Minify. Yes. <laughs> what what's what's the kind of what would you say is like the sixty second intro to Minify, Joe? Uh, it is deceptively difficult to collect data at the edge. Uh, that's really the bottom line point. Um, there's a lot of kind of log collectors that you can put out there. Um, you know, it seems easy enough that you might just deploy a little script that you might put together. Um, and all that's true, right? You can get those things deployed and start pulling data in. But the moment you want to make changes or the moment you realize you need to secure those flows, uh, things get, uh, like I said, deceptively difficult. Um, and that's really what we're going after with Minify is how can we help people manage those flows on an enterprise-wide scale? Um, and how can we help them ensure that the data is secured and that the provenance is known and established from end to end? And uh, you know, One of the things with Minify is about you know, making sure that if you're pushing that all the way out to the edge, that you're you know, shrinking that, that overhead, that footprint right at the edge as well. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, Nifi itself has become... Uh, rather large, uh, and we actually have a plan to tackle a good chunk of that. But I mean, ultimately, it's always going to be, you know, maybe in the couple hundred meg range, which you know that by itself is uh, almost takes it out of the qualification for a lot of edge cases. Uh, yeah. So on Minify, we have both a Java-based implementation uh, and a C++-based implementation, um, and the idea there is, um, you know, work towards feature parity. The Java version, we're always going to be able to iterate on faster. There's more developers, a bigger community. Um, to be able to do that, um, but it's going to be larger by nature. It's going to fit or, or be appropriate for a different class of systems. Um, it's that C++ one where we'll be able to have a really quiet, very purposeful agent um, that we'll be able to use on very, very small form factor uh, embedded type applications. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the with with Minify, I, I noticed you said Apache Minify. So it is actually a separate Apache project as well. Yeah, so it's not a top-level project. It's a sub-project of Apache NiFi. So the Apache NiFi community uh, sort of voted to uh, bring it into existence as a sub-project. Uh, so I think that the sort of formal way that you should say it is it is Apache Minify, a sub-project of Apache NiFi. I'll practice that in the mirror 10 times <laughs> until I get it right. Good luck. <laughs> uh, a question for me. The One of the powers of NiFi is the fact that all the processors, you can just plug and play and drag and drop whatever you need. Now, for the Minify, the C++ version of that, that's not going to work that way then. H how much flexibility in, um, let's call it computing, will you have on the Minify end? Yeah, so um, with the Java implementation of Minify, we actually maintained API. Okay. Um, and in fact, we pared down the NiFi API, which is a module that's really specific to what extension points we expect people to be able to build. Mm -hmm. um, and that will be honored both in Minify and NiFi. So that's great. Okay, um, yeah. But you're right. To, the, to your point, on the C++ implementation, uh, it's, uh, you know, frankly, less fun, right? So we have to come up with um, and really kind of stretch that model to ensure that, you know, from a user point of view, uh, if you were to configure something called, say, update attribute, in a NiFi version, mm -hmm. um, something called update attribute in the C++ version should behave, uh, be documented, uh, you know, in the same manner. And so that 
we're going to address on the developer side, um, most likely what we'll end up needing to do is have some sort of a manifest or version mechanism where we can help the C++ developers have some sort of parity. Uh, that said, it's not required that every processor that's in one is going to exist in the other. So I think there's a lot we still got to work through there. That sometimes doesn't make sense, right? I, I don't want an edge device to put stuff directly into HBase, for example. I want to collect it first and do something with it before that. But yeah. I think, but mostly the, the filtering and prioritization parts of MiFi, that's something I would like to see on the Minify's end. Yeah, agreed. And, and frankly, that's all the stuff that we're building initially anyway. Um, and the C++ one, I think actually the first processor that went out there was tail file. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just such a common use case. It's the hello yeah. world of uh, event driving. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. All right. So, I mean, in that case, that, that kind of leads us on to the sort of final real question, which is what's next on the roadmap for, for NiFi and Minify? What's the, what's the immediate future hold? Yeah. So um, from a, Kind of pure roadmap perspective uh, on the NiFi side, I'd say the you know one area that we're going to continue to really double down on and and you know kind of keep driving based off of community feedback is having a, a deeper and richer interactive user experience. Uh, so we have a UI; uh, it looks quite nice. We get really good feedback from the community on it. Uh, frankly, that was one of the biggest parts of the 1.0 release. You know, is this very clear and visual change. Um, but there's really so much more we can do there. We've, we've essentially only scratched the surface. Um, one really nice example of that that uh, will be in this uh, upcoming release that the community is starting to pull together now um, is just something as simple as being able to visualize back pressure in queues. Um, so today, NiFi has a really nice back pressure mechanism. Um, but unfortunately, unless you really understand what's happening, you don't even know that this like really powerful feature is in place. Uh, and so in the UI now, um, for connections that have back pressure enabled, it's really obvious. There's color changes, line thickness changes. Um, you see it kind of growing, um, going from kind of green through red. Uh, and it's nice. a really nice kind of visual indicator. Um, and I actually think it will help a lot of people discover this really powerful feature that's actually been there all along. Yeah, that, that's great. I've, I can't say I've been waiting for that, but it's definitely useful. And it's in the release that went out recently, or that's Cummings? It'll be in uh, right now. It's on the master branch, so it'll be in the uh, or in the uh, Apache NiFi 1.1 release. Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, I've been working on NiFi now for more than 10 years. And when I first saw this, uh, you know, it sounds like such a simple thing, but when I first saw it, I was just laughing because it's just cool. I mean, it, it's a good example yeah. <laughs> of you know the, the power of having nice visuals and what that allows yeah. you to do, whether you're a developer or an operations person. Uh, it helps you move forward faster. It's just it's fun. Excellent. All right. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, any last questions from you, Jan? Uh, well, I'll just, which I'm asking all the people that are coming on the anniversary uh, stream, how have you seen the big data thing evolve in the, in the past year? Has your role in it changed, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think about big data, per se, in, in what we do. I mean, a, a big part of what we're going after is um, you know, really focused on how do I collect and manage the flow of the information to a variety of systems, whether that's big data uh, storage and analytics systems, whether that's to cloud platforms, whether that's to other businesses. Uh, you know, for us, it's just been exciting to see the, the really big variety of, of use cases, whether it's um, working with Apache Metrons, um, cybersecurity kinds of use cases, or whether that's uh, kind of traditional enterprise log collection, uh, we had some really cool experiences 
Uh, a good example is a, a car show that we did in Detroit, this uh, TU Automotive Car Show, uh, where we did a joint demonstration with Qual uh, Qualcomm with uh, Minify running on one of their uh, in-vehicle modems, uh, doing some nice data prioritization, activating LTE versus Wi-Fi. It's just really nice, you know, kind of perfect use cases for us. Um, you know, seeing companies like Teradata's uh, Think Big Group recently announced their Kylo project, which is heavily based on NiFi. Um, you know, those are the sorts of use cases and spaces that we're um, focused on. Big data for us on the, on the flow management side is just one of the really important destinations. Now, obviously, uh, a big part of our team is, um, you know, as Hortonworks folks, uh, it's exciting to see uh, all the evolution that's been going on in HTP. And so we've got a lot of nice integration there as well. Uh, our customers are very happy, particularly the customers that we're using in Bari are really happy to see that NiFi uh, can be deployed via Ambari now as well. Yeah, that's a big plus. It's also one of those small things, but if it's not there, you miss it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Joe. Thanks. Much appreciate you uh, joining us for our anniversary episode. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll look forward to catching up with you in the new year, maybe. Yeah. I mean, this uh, last time we met uh, or did this, we were in Miami. Uh, this time is on a Skype call. Uh, next time, perhaps we could do this from the moon. <laughs> or Mars. I like his thinking. I, I, I hear SpaceX are going to be there soon, right? Yeah, but they're not coming back. Eh? We sign up now. We'll have a blast. All right. Great stuff. Thanks again. Well, thanks, Joe. Much appreciated. And uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Cheers. And thank you very much, Joe Witt. It's always a pleasure to talk to him, isn't it? It really is. He's a. Uh, He's one of those people that is just super smart yes. and, uh, you know, getting his opinion on a variety of different things is always interesting. And he actually makes time for silly people like us. Uh, no, what he's really making time for is our fabulous listeners. He doesn't really care about us. It's the listeners he cares about, just like us. I stand corrected. See, that's why I have Dave on the podcast, just to keep me down to earth. I mean, it's been a year and I still don't have, I still haven't got this, so... I'm always here to help you. <laughs> yeah. So we say in Holland, from the regen in the drup. And that was Denglish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, hang on. We got a live caller here. We've got Michaela from Bright Computing who wants to talk to us. Let's see if we can get him on board. Awesome. Yeah. Dial him in. Okay. Give me a minute. Hey, how are you doing, Michaela? Hi. Good, good. So, how have, how have things been? Yeah, good, good. Uh, following you, as always. And uh, yeah, <laughs> You're nice. still listening? Yeah, yeah, obvious, obviously. Uh, yeah, also last um, uh, last episode about data mirror, mm -hmm. I was uh, I would say less, slightly less interested. I, I'm not against anything against data mirror, but it's, I mean, it's not <laughs> the part of the technology I'm more mostly interested in. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's interesting because I mean it's uh, use cases and uh, yeah. And uh, what, any sort of major sort of changes or or releases in in the the platform since we last talked? Yeah, we are uh, always working to uh, add support uh, to new releases, uh, new features, and uh, I started playing a little with uh, with uh, Cafe on Spark. Okay. Ah. And 
Yeah, uh, unluckily uh, on uh, on my cluster, uh, I don't have a GPU, <laughs> so, so you need some workarounds to to make it work. But uh, it should be doable. Any specific reason you went for Cafe? Uh, we already support Cafe. Okay. And uh, also, I like the name because it sounds <laughs> Italian. <laughs> And so, I mean, it's interesting that uh, we can, there's a point of contact between uh, deep learning and uh, uh-huh. big data. Yeah, more and more, I'd say. Yeah. I also read that um, someone at Databricks is offering, started offering uh, um, and Spark, I guess, also uh, some libraries uh, to use a TensorFlow with Spark mm-hmm. uh, called uh, TensorFrames, I guess. So you can use actually data frames with TensorFlow. Yeah, and the Databricks cloud has GPUs, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed, uh, you need to have GPUs. I um, mean, to to leverage uh, the, these tools, and probably Databricks will be going to offer them. And yeah, this, this, this looks this looks promising, at least from uh, uh, what you can see from on the internet. The, there's a performances test, and it looks really really interesting. So. I need just to attach, uh, uh, to request my colleagues to attach some GPUs to my cluster so I can I can do some really nice work. I'm going to put my Microsoft hat on and tell you that we have GPU VMs in Azure Cloud, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you have also InfiniBand, uh, right? Uh, yeah, but the InfiniBand, uh, you, you can have the combination of both. But the thing is, if you want to do GPU multi, uh, multi-GPU uh, deep learning, then you should take a look at CNTK, actually, because the biggest difference between CNTK and TensorFlow and Cafe is the fact that uh, CNTK has been made to be distributable across multiple GPUs. And that actually gives you a nice speed increase, of course. Okay, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a list of the tools to investigate. It's also it's uh, developed by Microsoft Research. That's why, yeah. Yeah, but it's open source, so it's not Apache yeah. thing, but it's open source. It's just a library, right? It's a tool. Yeah, cool. But, uh, there's some there's some nice graphs going out there at TensorFlow, and uh, Cafe is a lot slower than CNTK, of course. I'm waiting for the other guys to put their benchmarks out that says exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's lies, damn lies, and benchmarks, right? <laughs> but ours are true, honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to be playing with it soon because of a customer of mine that's actually want to do some deep learning image recognition kind of stuff. So I'll be able to tell you in a couple of months exactly if it's true or not. Uh, okay, nice. We'll stay tuned for that. I hope to have uh, uh, Coffee and Spark working uh, earlier than a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the difference between having something working and having a project finished and a resulted deep learning model running and in production, right? Yeah. It takes yeah. a bit more time. But anyway, if you get the, the cafe running, uh, let us know and we'll happily have you on the show again to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, I mean, uh, we we have some libraries. I mean, it's it's something that uh, one of my colleagues uh, implemented. So, uh, some uh, deep learning packages. Uh, the problem is mostly that uh, mostly for uh, Python, uh, you have uh, really a lot of dependencies, uh, and you need to figure out uh, which is which. Uh, so we packaged. Uh, all those dependencies for uh, Python and in general for uh, uh, other libraries. So you can just yum install one of the our packages like for Cafe, Torch, Teano, and they will uh, they will pull all the correct dependencies 
Uh, so in just one yum install after one gigabyte, I guess, or I mean, uh, a lot of stuff, uh, you don't need to deal with dependencies directly. That is that is a nice thing. Are, are these platforms already stable enough that their dependencies are stable as well? Because there's still a lot of movement going on there, right? Uh, yeah, you're right. It's uh, not uh, uh, really, really stable. You need to uh, merge <laughs> all the dependencies and, and try to uh, determine the, the intersection of all these sets of dependencies. And uh, yeah, you need to figure out actually uh, the, the, the correct list. It's, uh, it's not trivial. Okay. It's not trivial. Uh, so one of my colleagues did, did, some, did something like that, so he knows better than me. As a, yeah, it's not really trivial. Uh, no, that's definite. Now, you're doing this uh, for the um, cluster management uh, suite you have, right? So do you actually have customers with GPUs in, uh, in machines that want to take advantage of this, or just doing this for future-proofing yourself? No, we have a uh, we have a lot of customers uh, uh, with GPUs. Okay. So actually, uh, we started uh, developing uh, and packaging all these tools because of customers' demand. Okay. Uh, because they have GPUs, uh, they they want uh, to to get a new release uh, of uh, TensorFlow as soon as it's published on the GitHub, <laughs> for instance. Uh, it's bleeding edge technologies, and they want the latest one, of course. Yeah, so it, we are already at 0.11 beta or, or something like that. And so, yeah, we can help them uh, then with that because they, they, they have GPUs. We support GPUs. Uh, you can, um, we are also partner with the GPU vendors. Well, GPU vendors, it, I mean, in my experience, all the GPUs are coming from NVIDIA at the moment. The CUDA cores, the K60s, yeah, yeah. K80s, whatever they call these days. Yeah, I didn't want to name explicitly, but yeah, okay, NVIDIA. Yeah, yeah it's pretty much NVIDIA. Because I don't think, uh, I mean, Intel has stopped uh, creating his card, right? And uh, AMD, I haven't really seen anything from them. Uh, oh, um, I, I don't know exactly. I see that actually, yeah, all, all these, pretty much all those libraries are dependent on uh, NVIDIA's GPUs. Yeah, and the CUDA so, stuff, right? CUDA stuff, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I know about three years ago when I was at my earlier, earlier job, we had actually a beta machine from Intel in when they were doing their, uh, well, they weren't graphic cards, but their CUDA-like GPU accelerator cards. But uh, those kind of went away without any sound anymore. <laughs> very, very, how do you call that? Uh, monopolistic uh, environment here yeah. for the, uh, yeah. for the yeah, graphics probably. cards. That's why yeah. they're so expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's kind of interesting because actually... Um, there was with sort of very uh, current news right now because there was an announcement only a couple of days ago. I'm just seeing if I can pull it up. That um, AMD is actually you know moving back into um, deep learning and, and GPUs, and actually um, Google is going to be seems like the first major sort of uh, user of that. So they've got. They've got some hardware, should be arriving next year, and it's going to be available through um, the Google Compute Engine and the Google Cloud Machine Learning Service. So I would completely agree that for a long time everything's been CUDA, therefore everything's been uh, NVIDIA. But it seems like uh, AMD's uh, coming to say hello to the journey. <laughs> bit strange because uh, Google builds their own hardware, at least that's what they put out in their marketing blogs. I thought it was you creating their own GPU chassis as well. Uh, chassis, yeah, but they won't. No, 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 do, I mean, they we, won't the, actually the, do. 
True, true. They make their own uh, boards with embedded everything. Yeah, but they'll they'll take GPU chips. They won't go and design their own GPUs. Well, I don't know. It's Google. <laughs> true, but well, the news the news announcements and the press releases say they're not doing their own GPUs. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we can also wait for Apple. Uh, which likes to design G- G- CPUs, whatever for their hardware. Yeah, <laughs> and just kidding. But yeah, yeah. I think I think that the, the days of them having their own CPUs and GPUs are are, are over. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting ride during the during it, but I think they're uh, they're all on well, all on Intel and AMD now, aren't they? Depending on what uh, what you're buying for Apple, it needs to fit in a watch, or else they don't want it. <laughs> oh, and we're Sorry. back to IoT. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of interesting. I think it's the, the sign. I mean, there hasn't really been any competition in the GPU market when it comes to um, you know any sort of um, you know processing on that side of things. But there didn't have to be much because there wasn't that much going on with GPU cards until very recently, honestly. I mean, yeah. who was really calculating on these things? I mean, if you look at TensorFlow Cafe, Cafe is a bit older perhaps, but TensorFlow is, what, a year, two years old maybe? CNTK is, what, yeah. six months old? It's all it's only happening right now. And, of course, if you don't have people buying the cards, why would you make them? Yeah, people have been, I mean, people have been attempting to monetize kind of GPU processing for, yeah, forever. A long time. <laughs> I mean, CUDA's, CUDA's been around for, what, 10 years probably? Uh, something like that less perhaps but it's going to be somewhere up there yeah 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 so people have been doing stuff on gpus for a long time but yeah i agree it's it's only it's i mean let's face it it's only relatively recently that that you know deep learning has hit more of the i wouldn't say mass but deep learning is only one kind of uh, usage of gpu cards right you can do more than yeah, that i mean yeah. before you had the yeah. what was it called again the programmable gate arrays the pga things fpga fpgas yeah and those kind of was too hard to, to work with. And then NVIDIA would put their graphics compute cards on the market with a nice library, and that kind of swallowed that market up. But yep. FPGAs are coming back as well. Yeah, what goes around comes around. It's all old stuff in new bags. <laughs> <laughs> Unless us, of course, we're new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apart from Hadoop, which isn't really just the mainframe reinvented. No, no. Uh, I would say it's not even a mainframe anymore. A mainframe. <laughs> framework anymore <laughs> no no i actually did mean mainframe <laughs> yeah i just realized what you said when i repeated it <laughs> are you saying i spent my youth working in mainframes after all uh pretty much yeah now all you need is is some sandals and a beard no <laughs> i got the beard i cut my hi- my hair and I, my wife hates sandals so that's not gonna happen <laughs> oh okay you don't make the cut i'm afraid so um uh, Michele, I mean, yep. anything else you'd like to share with our, our audience on our anniversary episode? Yeah, uh, happy birthday, first of all. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <we're already> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. Uh, I was just, I jumped in and uh, almost well, I forgot. Um, yeah, well, it is, uh, I'm developing a proof of concept. Uh, I was uh, exchanging emails with Jan uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about uh, Hadoop on uh, GPFS, 
um, we are always interested in alternative uh, file systems like Lasser, and in this case we are we have implemented this proof of concept. So we are running on a small cluster of uh, six nodes. Uh, we are running Hadoop on GPFS, and the customer is uh, testing uh, to understand the performance. Uh, whether there are actually performance improvements or or not, they need probably to fine tune some parameters. Uh, I'm not a GPFS expert, so probably <laughs> there should be some IBM wizards <laughs> to understand that. Uh, is it uh, the use cases specifically for increased performance, or are there other reasons why you're dropping HDFS standard for something else? Uh, they have uh, already a uh, quite big uh, GPFS deployment. Okay. So I guess the performance so is stuff. not really the, the, their first uh, priority, but it would be nice to have, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, it looks looks interesting, and uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't have a kind of um, results or graphs to to show. But uh, yet, <laughs> yet, from, uh, it was interesting from um, a technological point of view. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a big movement today as well to have all kinds of uh, data sources underneath a GPF, uh, a HDFS abstraction layer, if you like. That's uh, we talked about it on an earlier podcast show, I think three shows ago, where yeah, uh, yeah. HDFS now has a kind of protocol definition description that they want to put out, so it make it easier to have all the things beneath it. So I guess, yeah, yeah, why not with uh, GPFS and everything? Although GPFS is yeah. expensive. The licenses are expensive, aren't they? Because mm. GPFS, that's the IBM thing, right? It's not the freeware GNOME version you exp- you mean. No, no it's, it's the IBM thing. So, yeah, I, I expect it's, it's not really cheap. Um, if you're bought into a particular ecosystem, though, I mean, the there is always a cost to adopting something new. So, I mean... It's like exactly like we talked about, um, you know, with Isilon or anything else. You know, if you've already got stack loads of something, setting up a separate silo, pretty difficult to justify. If you can tack something onto your existing, you know, underlying storage platform, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, what what is interesting is that you can actually uh, run uh, different. Uh, um, it's pretty much independent of uh, of the Hadoop version. Uh, so you you could, in theory, uh, I think in practice, I not tried that. Uh, deploy uh, multiple uh, Hadoop uh, services and. Uh, they they will uh, insist on on the same uh, GPFS data actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean there are different scenarios. Also, IBM is always interested in uh, big companies in the uh, enterprise scenarios. So something. In- yeah, having single data store for multiple Hadoop clusters that's in the cloud area. That's also a very useful uh, use case. You can have multiple. You have block store somewhere, and you just attach it to your Hadoop cluster. You don't care. Now, for Isilon, I remember that one of the issues they had was the integration with the security part, the, the rangerization, whatever. Uh, any info on how GPFS works for that? Uh, no, uh, not yet. Uh, I know that Kerberos uh, is supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also name node uh, high availability. I need to play with that. But uh, no, uh, I don't know about uh, integration with the uh, 
Ranger. No. Yeah, name not high, high availability. It's more of the namespace uh, retention stuff, right? So that's independent of the underlying hardware. The thing with Isilon was that it actually Isilon allows you to export the file system for HDFS and SIFs and NFS and whatever simultaneously. So having yeah. Hadoop enforcing their security just doesn't work that way. Now GPFS ah. also has this availability of having multiple exports of the same data set, so they're going to have probably probably going to have the same problems there. Uh, yeah, because you uh, you can still access the data from somewhere else. So, yeah, it's difficult to uh, put a wall <laughs> around your data. I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, but you have to. It's, gonna, it's a data lake. If you don't put a wall around, it's going to flow away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're going to get your feet wet. <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's really important to, to, to block this because, I mean, it's, uh, it's funny. In the Netherlands, we, uh, we pay a tax not to, to get water, to block water from uh, arriving here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We have the dams to keep the data in. Nothing to do with water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Jan, occasionally you have to go out and, and put your finger in, in a hole in, in that if you don't pay your tax. Is that how it works? Yeah, in the big isolon, you have to put your finger in to uh, avoid the disks falling out. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> if you have a small finger, uh, yeah. It's difficult. Nah, I don't. <laughs> Oh, okay. Dear. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> well, Michaela, thanks for calling in. Yep, sure. I Thank hope you. you keep listening to the rest of the year. Of the, of the rest of the years, we will be going to be around, the hopefully. Years. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Decades, centuries. Oh, no, God. I don't want to be that old. <laughs> I mean, I predict myself having five more years before I get into the get off my lawn stage, so. <laughs> I thought you were already at that stage. I'm in denial. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just a river in Egypt, you know. All right. Michele, thank you very much for joining in. Thank you for joining our birthday celebrations here. Um, we'll give you a piece of cake on the way out. And yeah. uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, live long and prosper. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, Michele. Thank you. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks very much, Michele. Um, It was great talking to Michele and catching up with him again and finding out what exciting things he's been, uh, he's been up to and uh, look forward to catching up with him again next year, seeing uh, how things are progressing and uh, how the deep learning's getting on. Yeah. He's always so enthusiastic, isn't he? (laughs) He really is. He really is. Um, so we also have a, uh, a session recorded uh, from John of the ODPI, who uh, we spoke to um, earlier on in the year. Um, he had some interesting, exciting things to say back then and uh, has yet more interesting, exciting things to say today. And so, he's also a very enthusiastic person. He is indeed very enthusiastic. <laughs> Although the few um, people actually have to put the sound way down so he doesn't blow our microphones. <laughs> or blow the ears of our listeners, which is which would always be, always be a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, so hear more about the ODPI. Hear about how some of the standards have actually progressed. There's been some, I think, some pretty exciting movement, and exciting news in this space. So uh, yeah, let's hear it straight from uh, the horse's mouth, as they say. Uh, John, over to you. So welcome to uh, John Murtick, who's uh, agreed to join us for just a quick session here. Um, obviously, John was uh, a previous Roaring Elephant guest uh, on one of our previous episodes about ODPI. Welcome back, John. 
Thank you. Thank you for thank you for inviting me back. Either the episode went over uh, really well or I was the only one who responded to the email, which I don't think it's the second. <laughs> well, thanks I for the vote of confidence. We'll soon see if we get uh, other people dialing in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great to be on the show. It's been so Again, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And it's been sort of a, a pretty interesting, exciting time for you, uh, the ODPI, since uh, since we recorded the session. It sounds like there's been quite a bit going on. Yeah, we've uh, you know built out a number of pieces. I think last time we had talked, we just got the, the runtime uh, compliance together. We had a number of Hadoop platforms that signed on and... You know, now we've sort of finished, and I don't want to say finished, but I think we've complete what I like to call sort of completed the circle and and got a number of big data app vendors. So folks from IBM, SaaS, um, and another of others. And and what's interesting here is we've 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 sort of built this vendor neutral ecosystem. So like I've been in the alliances game for a long time, and how it all boils down is you you have you know you pick a vendor. And then you talk to that vendor, you say, okay, who are all the people that I work with? And then that, you know, based upon that first technology buying experience, everything else, you know, flows that way, right? You know, you, 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 know, you go for them. Here, we've actually created a way that you can, that, I don't say fully upends that model, but I think it augments it nicely. So, so let's say you've invested in Hortonworks. You said, okay, this is what I'm doing. I've invested some data centers here. Um, but you know what? I've got a branch office in China here, and they have some great relationships with um, Asia Info. Hey, they have a distro, and I can leverage that. And all of my, if if I've picked things within the ODPI family, um, Asia Info is ODPI compliant. Uh, might my, my investment switches over to there, right? Um, maybe if I want something in a you know Hadoop as a service cloud, AltaScale fits the bill. Right. So I, you auto set, you just get some more flexibility. You have branch offices that can choose, but then, you know, just depending, you know, the one thing I talk with a lot of customers is there's, there's never a one size fits all to Hadoop or, or their <laughs> strategy. Um, yeah. And boy, would it, life would be easier if it wasn't, but it's the reality <laughs> it isn't. And, and so I think we enable you to, to do what makes sense um, very quickly. So, so that that's really an exciting piece there from the ecosystem part, and then uh, you know from the the spec part, um, and this is something we're announcing next week at Apache Big Data, which is when this podcast goes live about right. So this might be I might be talking about something in the future in the past. Um, <laughs> Time travel is a wonderful thing. It is, it is. Uh, but you know we're we're going to be releasing our our second spec, um, and this will have. Um, two interesting components in it. Uh, well, actually three. We'll do our first release of the operations spec, um, which is really focused on best practices around installing, deploying, and managing um, applications in Hadoop. And we use Apache Ambari as a reference uh, platform. But the second is on the runtime side, uh, we're adding Hive, which is an interesting add um, as we're addressing SQL on Hadoop. And uh, and the second is HCFS, which um, I imagine your listeners are pretty familiar with. It's it's basically a standard for third party third party file systems um, to plug into Hadoop cluster, um, and and that's an exciting one there too. Because as, as I talk with vendors, that's that's one of the biggest points of differentiation, especially if you go to the cloud, because. 
you know, they have block stores. Why why shoehorn HDFS in there when instead you can just plug up the plumbing and leverage what's there? Interesting. So you're sort of really starting to sort of branch out across a couple of different areas that uh, that haven't been previously part of part of the ODPI spec. Yeah, yep, that is correct. We're 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 kind of branching out and we're, and we're thinking about this very much in a functional area perspective. I mean, you know, Hive it's it's a very natural fit. I think everybody can agree Hive is is sort of the the gold standard there for doing SQL on Hadoop. But, yep. you know, if you look at what we're trying to do with Hive, we are well, in one set, you know, we are focused on some configuration bit. The other half is we're just trying to get it so that if you run a SQL query on, you know, Hive 1.2 on Hortonworks, it ought to work the same way across any ODPI compliant distro, which it seems very obvious as I state that out loud, but it's not <laughs> always the case. And and even furthermore, you know, as a Hive, you know, a 1.3 or 1.4 or 2.0, which we know is coming out, how can we make sure those, you know, queries act consistently? And you know, the end game of this might be, hey, here is a here is a set of, you know, here is here is the standard around what how SQL queries should work against Hadoop. I mean, that's that might be where we get here in the end. But, you know, just some very tactical because that's the biggest piece of feedback we've heard. I, we have a few very, very large app vendors, and that's what they've told us. It's like, you know, John, if you could get these queries to run the same across all these distros, that saves us a ton of time. That makes yeah. our life a lot easier. So yeah. can you explain a bit more? Because uh, me being stupid, I would say if everybody uses the same version of Hive, that's fixed, right? You would think, and uh, <laughs> apparently, well, let's put it this way: apparently, that's not the case. And and this is something we've actually seen pretty common across um, Hadoop platform vendors. It's just how the components end up. You know, there's one angle how the components get assembled um, that causes incompatibilities. Um, there's another even in the upstream project where, hey, we're not necessarily always great with backwards compatibility, so you get breakages there. Um, and, and then the third, sometimes you have sort of third-party you know, tools that plug on top of that. Security projects are notorious for that, and that, that's something we're going to look at down the road here, um, the near-term future. But uh, all of those combined together, they just it, it's, it sort of creates a little bit of this perfect storm, I guess, or imperfect storm, as it turns out. Um, and, and that ends up being a lot of the challenge there. So, and, and what we're trying to do here is we don't really like, so, so from one angle, you know, this is a part of the acceptance level testing to be ODPI compliant is pass these tests, but all of these tests we're pushing back upstream. So the project itself actually will have, and maybe even for the first time, some end user driven acceptance tests that they can leverage, right? Real world use cases, how this is used and make sure, hey, future versions don't break, um, which I think is a more exciting thing. I mean, that yeah, that yeah. there helps complete the full circle of open source. Yeah, it also kind of proves that the, the Hive project, you have buy-in from them to, to, to help you with this. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And, and I think that's been a really nice thing. That project has been, um, you know, very open to working with us and... Uh, you know, we're we're hoping this can drive, and you know, you know, look, most most of everybody I talked to, we just did a webinar yesterday with ESG, and you know, every, I, I think one of the telling quotes that we heard, that was thrown in there, and this was from Cap Gemini, you know, say, hey, you know, all of this stuff at the Hadoop layer, they use the term dial tone, right? Which I think is a really, it's a really interesting way to put it. It's there, it's important, but 
boy, making 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 differences at that sort of commodity level doesn't make a ton of sense, right? If we can make all of this stuff run a lot simpler, we can focus on the next layer up. Um, we can focus on making that more powerful, which is which is really our whole game. You know, that's yeah. that's what we're after. So. That's what I mean. Let's face it. That's really that's what standards are all about. It's about setting that baseline, setting that with dial tone or table stakes or whatever. It's making sure that the basics are all, you know, all aligned, all all there, and all the same across the the different environments. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, it's it's so weird because you say it out loud and it sounds so simple. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's it's you know it, it, it's Azure in an innovative ecosystem like this. It's 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 part of the maturity curve, right? Every yeah. single technology thing has went through it, and and you know I think we're in a really nice position. We can help that. We're we're trying to pull that unity across the table. Um, we're 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 hearing these. We're hearing this. You know, not only from app vendors, we're hearing it from end customers and especially solution providers. I think I think them. You know, Capgemini. They see they see the obvious writing on the wall for them. This this will just make it a ton easier for them to execute. Um, and and we're seeing a lot of interest from from folks that way. So we're we're really excited, and we have a lot of you know bright future ahead as as we're looking to grow this. Plenty of work left to do. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yes, yes, yes. But I mean, it's a, but that's a that's a good problem to have, right? It's it's a it's an ecosystem that is moving quickly. It's active. It's vibrant, um, and that creates opportunity. Yeah. Well, talking about that, I mean, the podcast has now been going for a year now. We've seen how the ecosystem changed over the year. How have you seen the the last year of Hadoop Big Data and your own work perhaps change over time? You know, it's interesting because I came in very sort of new to the scene, and and you know, I tried to spend a lot of time digging in and understanding the history and whatnot. Um, it's still, you know, so Hadoop generally is, is still a very technology led discussion. Um, but I'm starting to see um, how this is being used, kind of like I like to call the business outcomes aspect, is starting to poke through, right? Because I think, you know, there's a, there's a number of vendors that were early on the hype cycle, and they said, oh, well, look, you know, Amazon and Netflix and Facebook and all these folks here, they've leveraged and done amazing things. And, you know, if I sit back and I'm, you know, pick your favorite, you know, regular Fortune 500-ish company here. I, I, I'm from Ohio, so I go to Sherwin-Williams all the time, right? Well, I don't, I don't physically, that, that's my, that's my go-to, right? And if I look at them, they, they look at those examples like, okay, well, this is interesting, but if it means we have to change our IT to work like Netflix, that doesn't really help us, right? <laughs> and so we're, we're kind of, we're kind of caught there, right? And so you're, there's, there's this nat, there's this tension that builds up of, okay. I need these things to exist in an enterprise environment, and what is out there doesn't fit the bill. Um, and so there's vendors that are trying to work on these pieces here, and and you end up you end up getting caught in sort of this you know trough of delusion uh, that's that you know some have said Hadoop's sort of stuck in here at the moment. Um, I sort of look at it the flip side of that, and 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 you know call me an optimist, but I see this as sort of you know Hadoop is maturing to the point where it's it recognizes that hey we've built something really interesting and it's more than just one way to transform data it's a strategy around data in your business no matter what form it is no matter how it's processed how it's coming in you know hadoop is transformed to that you know when we think of hadoop that's what you know it's 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 a larger scale strategy so I think we're starting to come to grips with that. 
I I think the next year is going to be really interesting as you know you're you're going to see a lot of the push of how how do regular people use this successfully? Like I think those are the stories they're going to need to start coming out and 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 I think they're there and and we're even working on starting trying to probe a few of those. Um but that that's sort of the the, the transformation we're in here. There's a lot of technology the technology is good, but I think we're starting to look at the other, you know, side of the coin here and saying, you know, how's how's this being, you know, how, how can this not be sort of a a a high tech, fast moving, emerging tech solution to helping be a bit more mainstream, if you would? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that the the conversation needs to be around what does the business need. And how can you deliver that? Maybe, maybe you can't, or maybe the ideal way to deliver that isn't actually Hadoop. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are some things out there that maybe Hadoop is not a good fit for. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but, ah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, he's biased, it's folks. About, he's biased. <laughs> just a little biased. Um, but it, when we talk about organizations that are starting this journey and people that are looking for their first couple of use cases, it's it's always got to be around something that delivers value back to the business. And, you know, something that actually delivers some value back to the organization. Otherwise, you're just playing with technology. And I love playing yeah. with technology too, but that doesn't that doesn't pay the bills that won't pay for you know the deployment of a brand new platform uh, and technology as cool as it is on its own is is nothing but sort of uh, is nothing but a cost so if you if you're not tying it back to what the business needs or what you're going to deliver to the business then you know you're doing your organization a disservice so yeah i you know the business definitely needs to be far far more closely linked than than just uh, it being some some cool tech stood up in a data center somewhere or in a cloud somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's where we kind of we've this community has naturally got itself, and some of the vendors involved have naturally got themselves sort of stuck into that technology piece here. But I, you're exactly right. Like the harder the harder question, and I don't even necessarily think it's a harder question. I think it's just a different way you look at it of, okay, what's my outcomes, right? You know, what makes this so that if I'm a CIO, um, my hand's not shaking as I sign the check to you. Yep. Um, yeah. And and if, and if we can solve and if we can help that, all of a sudden it becomes interesting. And then, you know, probably secondarily, okay, how do we, how do we sort of stretch, you know, how this applies here to just not the folks that can staff their own Hadoop team to deal with this, um, but, but how can we make, you know, this more of a, a, an offering, even that stretches down to the mid market or even the small business. I mean, I was, I was talking with my father-in-law the other day and he runs a, a pool business in Ohio, right? Okay. Laughs there, of course, <laughs> uh, pool business, Ohio, but i um, very successful. I've been around for like 60 years, a really, really successful, um, business well-known in this area. And, you know, I was trying to explain him what I do and, and he, and he was like, you know, you know, John. What would make you know in the summertime we're open longer hours we're open not we we we're open till six as opposed to the rest of the year we're open to five and we're also open Saturdays. I'd love to be under able to understand the impact of our business that extra hour because boy I don't like working sixty hours in the summertime. Um, I'd like to be able to you know not have to be in here six days a week and if and if I could understand hey there's peaks and valleys here um, maybe that would be better and and I and I sit back and think I'm like 
you know, throw out like the specifics of the technology, that in and of itself is a big data question, right? Yep. And that's one that, you know, that's what the whole promise of this technology is, right? How can I look at data and make smarter decisions based upon what's coming at me? And by having smarter ways to process it, you, you, everything just opens up, right? It becomes, you know, much easier. I'm not having to worry about, you know, back in the enterprise data warehouse area where I had to figure out a schema first and then transform it, you know, all this kind of jazz. I can just look at data for what it is. And and that's sort of what, to me, like this whole, I mean, I actually have a keynote at Apache Dig Data where I'm just talking right about this. You know, that's really what a lot of this boils down to. People, the cases are there. There's just, you know, a, it, it's the connection coming back to the technologies in use and how this fits in, um, you know, some of those are still fuzzy. And, you know, when the, when the shiny examples here are um, organizations that are built from the ground up to deal with data in such a way and from an IT perspective, you know, that, that's not helping anybody. I mean, that's just basically saying to use this, you have to blow up the house, right? I mean, it'd be the equivalent of, you know, I need, a, I need a new hot water heater. Great. You know, your house doesn't work. Let's start from scratch. And then you can put a new hot water. I mean, it just doesn't fit, right? Um, so, I, I, look, I, I, think, I don't think we're far off. I mean, I don't think this is, you know, pushing a rock up a mountain. Um, but it's going to require a little bit of, of, of how, we're, how to change how we're thinking about it. And... Uh, it'll be interesting. I, I think this next year is going to be a critical one um, for Hadoop in that realm. And if we probably come back to where we're at in the same time next year, um, I have a feeling the market may not be as you know favorable to this as a technology. And you might see other things. You know, maybe at that point, you know, Spark starts to go off its own way or things like that. I don't know, um, but we'll see. It's 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 going to be interesting. But I think all of the vendors associated are starting to feel that pinch. They they're starting to sort of get that. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Hadoop should either be making money or saving money or preferably doing both simultaneously. And if it's not, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Point, point blank, period. You, you, nailed, you nailed it right on the head. You nailed it right on the head. All right. So I, I think at that point, um, we'll uh, we'll wind up this particular section. Again, thanks so much, John, for, for joining us with our anniversary episode. Uh, and, yeah, we, we look forward to uh, another session with you next year. Um, and, uh, yeah, keep on keep on doing fun, exciting things at ODPI. We, we will. We will. And let's definitely grab time in the new year here and, uh, and catch up and, uh, you know, keep that conversation going. All right. Perfect. Um, anyone out there, if you have questions about the ODPI or about, uh, about anything we've talked about, you know, don't hesitate to reach out through the comments and uh, give us a shout. With that, thanks very much, John. Thanks, we'll John. speak soon. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And thank you, John Murtick, for making some time to talk with us about the ODPI and uh, be on our anniversary party, even though he wasn't live. Still very much appreciated. I think we've spent another, well, more than half an hour. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, I think we're going to be way over an hour on this one. Still, I need to do a lot of editing to get this all spliced together. I hope the end result is something that sounds very good, because I do hope our listeners enjoy our anniversary party. I certainly did. So did I. I enjoyed it so much, I want to have another one next year. Let's do that then. <laughs> But until then, 
for today. It's all the time we have. And we hope you've enjoyed our anniversary party as much as we have. We will be back in two weeks' time again with a new episode. We have no idea what it's going to be about. Although it's probably going to be something exciting. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, send us a questions, or please give us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps, even though, well, maybe Dave will learn to appreciate iTunes in the future in the next year. We'll see. Uh. <laughs> if you don't like, if you want, don't want to give us five stars, that's fine too, but then tell us why not so we can improve the podcast. Until then, go to the feedback form on our website or send us email to podcast at roaringalpha.org with any thoughts, comments, criticism or other feedback. My name is John. And my name is Anniversary Roaring Elephant Dave. I look forward to talking to you for another year. Absolutely we do. Goodbye. Stay with us and we'll stay with you. Goodbye.